Welcome back to the Edgy Conversations podcast. Hey, this is Dan Walshman. You're listening to the podcast for driven people with clear goals who want to be their best self. See, I've said that enough times now that it's just, it's becoming super automatic, which I love. It, it, it took me a long time to, to, to switch from the radical, radical help for people who want it. But no, now we're talking to driven people with clear goals who want to be their best self. All month we've been talking about this idea of radical candor. Radical candor. I was in a business meeting yesterday with um, a five locations of a company. We we're going back and forth and back and forth talking about things. And I mentioned this book. I've mentioned it now in business meetings all month. I've mentioned it inside the Edgy Nation uh, office hours where we huddle up for 60 to 90 minutes and talk about what's going on in our lives and how we can be our best self. I love this book. I did a podcast interview on someone else's uh, network a few days ago. I brought it up again. Kim Scott, Radical Candor. One of the best books I've read in a long, long time, just about how to level up my conversation game. By the way, while we were talking about conversation, Petra had an amazing book that she shared with all of us about communication called Be Understood or Be Overlooked. And of course, uh, that's in, I believe she added that to The Edgy Empire on Facebook. But if not, go get the book Be Understood, uh, Be Understood or, or Be Overlooked. Now, let me tell you a story about the power of radical candor. I've had lots of different types of relationships in my life. Probably my, my worst relationships were in when I was in Northern Virginia. And let me, let me explain for a minute. Most of you have, have uh, know my story. And um, if you've read my book at all, you know, chapter one, where I was, the dark place when I decided to, that things needed to change radically in my own life. I was explaining to someone the other day, one of the dangerous things that happened in Northern Virginia, and we all worked in DC, but you lived in Northern Virginia and, and there's kind of like a, it's like the, the honeycomb in the morning, all the worker bees go into the uh, honeycomb. And that's kind of how I view Washington, DC. But there was so much about Washington, DC that was just massively superficial. And there, there's no other way to describe it, but to say massively superficial. Unfortunately, on day one, I didn't realize it. And, and on year one, I didn't realize it. And, and almost on decade one, I, I started to realize something was wrong. I was explaining to someone yesterday in a private conversation that our, my fir, not my first home, my, my second home, uh, I had a, a two-story penthouse condo. It doesn't make sense. Think of an apartment building, but it was a two floor on the very top. They had what they call penthouse and it was two floors. I don't think it was a true like Manhattan penthouse, but it was pretty cool having a a two floor like apartment sort of thing. Think about it like that. Anyways, (laughs) I sold that when when Sarah and I were together and and bought this house and it was six or $700,000 for a house that was a lot of square feet and 15 feet away from neighbors on either side of us. And maybe it's not 15, maybe it's 20 feet. It doesn't really matter, right? Because they're so close, you know, you can literally almost hang out the window and throw throw a bottle of wine or grab a bottle of wine, you know? So here I am in this house and in a division, subdivision because there's so much, so much yeah, so much demand for, for housing. 
you have these planned communities where it like if you're looking down from the sky, it's row upon row upon row of home. It's almost like a one of those movies from the future where we're all living inside like silver suits or something like that. But I used to wonder as as I would go to work, you would have a steady stream of just high-end cars all around you. Now, not everyone's doing it. And I guess it's a little different than kind of our, our current office. When I'm in Silicon Valley and our office there, I'll go to dinner and you'll see people with like Lambos pulling out of, you know, some startup racing you to get tacos or something like this. And, you know, it's kind of a, it's a, it's kind of a surreal setting. So there weren't Lambos or kind of Maseratis in Northern Virginia. They were just, you know, a lot of Mercedes, a lot of Jaguars, high-end BMWs, cars like this. And when there would always be kind of a best car of the year sort of thing. So the E-Class came out for Mercedes and people would go and grab that. And then like the Jaguar XJ2, oh, and someone would go grab that. And it was like people were competing against themselves, whether it's Audi uh, or Infiniti or, or, or whatever high-end car. It felt like people were were just competing. It, it took me a while to realize, this is kind of my own silliness. Oh, people aren't buying these cars. They're leasing them. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, oh, you're, you're, it's not even your car. Like every two years, every three years, you're just getting a new one. You're throwing this one back. You're, you're getting a brand new model. And so it's not really, you're not really buying it. You're, you're kind of leasing it. They kind of, open my eyes. And then the other thing I realized when I would talk to people who had these kind of high-end jobs, and there's a lot of people in that area who make multiple six digits. And I think the base income for those counties are over six digits. So it's, it's, it's a good amount of money. I'm trying to paint a picture here so you kind of get that sense. What was deceiving to me was that people were not driving these vehicles because they had been successful and they said, I want to enjoy some luxuries of life. They were driving these vehicles because they thought if they had a fancy vehicle, someone else would look at them and say, you must be successful because of what you're doing. It took me a long time, people, to realize this. It took me a really, really long time. I was under the impression that you're successful, you made a lot of money, and then you do drive the car you want. Not that you max out your credit, not that you're heavily in debt, not that if you miss a paycheck, the house of cards comes tumbling down. I, I didn't understand it. And, and that what I knew was that I was in this rat race to produce more, to be more, and to have more. And no one sat me down and said, hey, doofus, you're doing the wrong thing. You're chasing the wrong thing. Your head's in the wrong spot. Let me fast forward. That was 19 to 25 to 26. In a few months, I'll be 40. So it's some bit of water behind me. I've got a new friend, Rajesh Sethi, who's more than a friend. He's, he's one of these people that from his lips, like come wisdom in the most ridiculous of ways. And I mean that in a way, in a positive way, like ridiculously awesome. Not too long ago, we were talking and he said, Dan... I look at our relationship as long-term, longer-term, and lifetime. That's how I view things. I'm not looking for quick fixes or in and outs. By the way, it's no wonder this guy's been massively successful. If, if that's your perspective, it, it's impossible for you not to be massively successful. Bringing it home, I had a conversation with him not too long ago where 
as, as many of you know, I can get wound up, right? <laughs> that, that that's a, a a bit of a damn thing. I, I'm I'm driven. I I don't know where that comes from. I'm consuming lots of things, stuffing them into my into my mind, into my soul for motivational purposes and inspiration purposes, and it's sometimes hard for me. It's sometimes hard for me to connect with people because. In my mind, like there's this relentlessness where if you want something, you go and get it and you don't let anything stop. You just go and get it. And there's no excuses. There are setbacks. There are times when personally you're challenged, but like you just, you, you push through. You don't let that stop you at, at any cost. You, you must persist. You must get the prize at all costs. There's no excuses. I had spent a pretty not tempestuous. I, I, I had a conversation with somebody who has a magical business idea, but is just not willing to do the work to get it there. And uh, this person, they, they just, they, uh, it's hard. It's hard because you, you can't, you, you can't want it for somebody else. They have to want it, right? And I left this conversation so upset. Just upset kind of in that grumpy state of mind. And I was calling Rajesh and I was complaining about this person. And I said, you know, hey, you know, he or she, you know, you know, this and this and this and this. And Rajesh, he, he stopped me. He, he just kind of, he was on the other end of the phone, but I can imagine him like holding his hand up, like just stop, pause for a second. And he said simply to me, is this person important to you? And I stopped for a second and I thought, well, what do you mean? Like, I care about them. I, I, I do. They're not related. We're not in some sort of, you know, love triangle. I mean, not like that, but like, I, I genuinely care about them. He said, no, is this person important to you? And I said, not really. And then he said to me, you have just made them important. And then because I was still thinking about the previous statement, I hadn't talked yet. And he said, see, when you let people control your emotions, you make them important even when they shouldn't be. Why am I sharing this long, 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 long story with you? Because that's an example to me of radical candor. He was kind. He didn't say, hey, shut up, you asshole. <laughs> uh, he didn't say, grow up, you know, stop being ridiculous. He didn't say, dude, you know, what's with you and you're whining all the time? That might have been how I would have responded to somebody else. And he, he didn't treat me that way. He, he said he went a slightly different angle. His angle was candor, and it was radical, but I knew he cared about me. And that, those are the two principles of radical candor. If you'll remember, Kim Scott says there are two things you need to do to really well for, rad, for radical candor. One, care personally. Two, challenge directly. Of course, I know Rajesh, uh, as a friend and a mentor and a counselor and a partner, does care personally. And so when he says to me, you're making somebody important who shouldn't be simply because of your frustration. Wow. Radical candor. Now, what is the difference? Let's compare. What, are the, what, what is the difference? In, in the first example, we're all chasing this elusive thing called happiness through possessions. And no one stops to say, is this actually going to make you happy? Is this going to make you fulfilled? We're all just chasing it, hoping that you make enough money that your marriage fixes itself and that magically 
you get promoted enough where your kids adore you, even though you don't spend time with them, right? And that, you know, you, you can be so powerful that you'll automatically achieve the things you want for yourself, even without having to experience the evolution that comes with obstacles. And this is a hard conversation, right? This, I get it. I get it. Me even saying this out loud seems to like, dude, you're wound up. I get it. But here's the power of radical candor. When someone looks me in the eye and says, look, you're looking at this wrong, it allows me to, to significantly level up my game. Like significantly. I, because someone was candid to me, I am powerful beyond measure with them, right? Do, do, do you understand this? Someone giving me that candor, I have two choices. I can continue to make excuses, still be in a funk, still blame somebody else, or I can level up my game. My option was to level up my game. You being radical candid to someone else doesn't mean they're going to level up, up, up their game. But again, that's their choice. It's not your choice. All around us, all around us, are people who I believe would be better versions of themselves if we treated them with candor. And I'll talk for Dan Waldschmidt for a moment. How disrespectful am I when I don't treat you with the respect you deserve, when I don't give you the time that you deserve, when I don't stop and say, you're, you're smart enough and have the potential enough to actually be awesome. I'm going to treat you that way. Instead, I talk down to you. Instead, I talk over you. Instead, I deal you, as Kim Scott would say, ruinous empathy. Oh, that person can't level up. So I'm just going to pat them on the head like a little baby. Or maybe I, I, I deliver you uh, manipulative insincerity. Yeah, 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 sure. I roll my eyes. Yeah, yeah, sure. Whatever. Knowing full well that we're not going to do that. It's not going to happen. I just want you out of my way, out of my day, out of my life so I can continue doing what I'm doing. Maybe I'm obnoxiously aggressive. Here's the challenge for all of us is that this idea of radical candor makes an impact on, it's a gift you give others. That's the point. I'm not bitter. I don't live with regrets. I sometimes live frustrated with myself, but I don't live with regrets. But I, I do wish at 19 or 20, someone would have pulled me aside and said, hey, Schmo, you're doing this all wrong. You're chasing the wrong thing. There's no happiness. And you still got to be a leader. And, and that money and promotion and job isn't what you think it is. And again, it wasn't their job necessarily to do that. It wasn't their obligation, but I might be, I might've saved myself some heartache. I might have. And you might save someone else some heartache when you ask them to level up. It's a gift. It's a gift. In a non-corny, absolutely true sort of way. Why are you holding that gift back from others? By the way, speaking about gifts, how about Awesome Palooza? It's November 3rd. It's right around the corner, awesomepalooza.com. It's an amazing event. This year, we've taken it to the next level. Uh, I can't wait for you to be there. It, uh, there's an early bird discount that's running for just another week. And if you get your early bird discount, not only is the ticket cheaper, yay, 
but there's a VIP dinner the night before. Beer, tacos, axe throwing, great people, tremendous swag bag. Listen, I want you uh, excited and motivated and on your game. I hope you're there. Check it out, awesomepalooza.com. Until the next time, guys, until the next time, stay edgy. Be awesome.